Good morning. I want you to do a couple of things with me simultaneously uh, this morning. First of all, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 3. While you're doing that, let's multitask. I want you to stand to your feet. Uh, stand to your feet wherever you're at, whether you are uh, at one of our other campuses or if you're at home, you might need to get out of that recliner, but you're going to do this uh, together, all right? And what we're going to do is we're going to read some scripture, and we're going to read some scripture in order to prepare us for Colossians chapter 3. So we're not going to read Colossians chapter 3, not yet anyway. We're going to read Psalm 100 this morning. We'll have it up here on the screen, all right, so you can follow along. I'm going to lead, but here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to leave me hanging, all right? So I'm going I'm to lead, but you're going to read along with me, and I know, I know you got this, all right? You can do it. So let's read Psalm 100. Uh, here's what the psalmist says. You ready? Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Amen? You did a great job. You can have a seat. And I have a question for you today. When you woke up this morning, what were you looking forward to? Was it a football game this afternoon? Maybe spending some time in this great fall weather outside? Maybe getting your to-do list caught up on? Maybe just getting some rest? Or when you woke up this morning, were you looking forward with a kind of eagerness and expectation to, to gather in corporate worship that we saw in Psalm 100. Now, I don't ask this uh, to make you feel guilty this morning, but rather uh, to point you to where we want to be as God's people, as his church. We want to be a group of people who each and every Sunday eagerly and expectantly gather to worship the Lord. Last week, we began a new series entitled This Is Us, in which we're, we're talking about the kind of church that we are striving to be. Another way to put this is, is we're talking about God's vision for Harmony Bible Church, and we can succinctly put this vision in this way. We want to be, we really believe that God has called us to be a worshiping community on mission. We believe that God has called us to A, worship Jesus Christ in all of life, uh, to, to be, uh, to, to live on mission, to help others to worship Jesus in all of life, and to see, do this together as a community of Jesus's disciples. Now, last Sunday, we talked about the worshiping Jesus in all of life part, uh, but see, since it seems uh, to me that what people primarily got out of the message is what I had to say about the chiefs and jujubes, I think a review is in order. Last Sunday, our, our text was Romans 12, 1 and 2, where the Apostle Paul gives a great summary of the Christian life. And the summary goes like this. The Christian life is about gospel-fueled worship. It's about immersing ourselves in the gospel so that we're transformed into people who worship Jesus Christ in all of life. 
I ended last week by imploring you to engage fully in the church. And I did so because it's in the church where we are immersed in the gospel and therefore transformed into people who worship Jesus in all of life. The gospel fuels all of life worship and the place where we get fueled by the gospel is in the church. Now let's look at a passage uh, this morning that shows us how this is supposed to work. Colossians chapter three, verses 16 and 17. Follow along as I read these two verses. Paul tells us to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Now that means there, the word of Christ is the gospel, all right? And, And we are to allow, we are to let the gospel dwell in us richly or abundantly. This is just another way of saying that, that we are to allow ourselves to be immersed in the gospel. We're, we're to allow ourselves to be immersed in the gospel. Now, how do we actually immerse ourselves in the gospel? Notice what Paul goes on to say in the rest of verse 16. We do so by teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. We immerse ourselves in the gospel through corporate worship, through things like teaching and singing, as we're gonna see here in a little bit, also through things like praying and giving and serving and communion and baptism. We immerse ourselves in the gospel through the corporate worship practices of the church. Now, with that said, though, what's the ultimate purpose of doing so? So so we've got in verse 16, we have this corporate gathered worship where where we come together and and, and together as Christ's body, we immerse ourselves in the gospel through preaching and singing and praying and these other practices. What is the ultimate purpose of this? Verse 17, notice what Paul says. And whatever you do in word or deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Corporate gathered worship is meant to fuel scattered all of life worship. That's what it means to do everything in the name of Jesus. It means to do everything in worship of him. One of the most famous verses in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 Paul tells us there that we are to, whatever we do, whether we eat or drink or or whatever we do, we're to all for the glory of God, for the glory of Jesus. So let me put it simply for you. As Christians, if you're a Christian here today, your goal, our goal is to worship Jesus with everything that we have and everything we are. That's what the Christian life is all about. It's about worshiping Jesus all the time with all that we have and all that we are. And the means to this end is immersing ourselves in the gospel and the place that we immerse ourselves in the gospel is when we gather together corporately as a body and we worship him together. Now that is a foundation then. Let's talk more uh, in detail about what corporate worship is and how it's supposed to work. Uh, before I do that, though, let, me, let me just stress how um, important this is, all right? Our lives, as we talked about last week, um, are, are really uh, the outcome or the direction of our life is largely determined by the things that form us. We're all being formed by things. And for Christians, the, the most 
form, forming thing, I guess I should say, this is a bad word choice, but the most forming thing is corporate worship. So what we're talking about is absolutely huge for the Christian life. So what then is corporate worship? Now I'm gonna give you a definition. So, so here's, a, here's a definition of corporate worship. Corporate worship is the gathering of the church to rehearse and respond to the gospel through preaching, praying, singing, giving, serving, communion, and baptisms. And that's a long and clunky definition I get. All right, I get it. However, absolutely every part of this is absolutely essential. And so I'm gonna break it down for you to make it much easier to swallow, all right? So there are three parts to this definition. First, corporate worship is the gathering of the church. The gathering of the church. Now, we'll talk more about this next week, but the church consists of those who have repented of their sins and placed their faith in Jesus Christ and have therefore been adopted into God's family. By definition, the church consists of believers and only of believers. So when we're talking about corporate worship, we're talking about believers coming together to worship the Lord. This means that believers worshiping the Lord together is the primary focus of corporate worship. Don't take this, by the way, to mean that unbelievers aren't welcome because they certainly are. In fact, we greatly encourage their attendance. This is one of the reasons why we preach the gospel pretty much every week and we passionately uh, really uh, call unbelievers to respond, to repent of their sins, to believe in Jesus Christ, to become a part of his family. However, the goal of corporate worship isn't to attract unbelievers, but rather for believers to worship the Lord together. That's what the focus of our corporate worship gatherings is. That leads to the second part of the definition. The purpose of corporate worship is to rehearse and respond to the gospel. Now, it's really important that you listen here because we need to be crystal clear about what corporate worship uh, services are about. They're not about being entertained. They're not about listening to an interesting sermon. Some of you are saying right now, well, that's a good thing, all right? But, but, but it's not about hearing great music. It's not about connecting with family and friends. Instead, look at verse 16 again. Corporate worship is about letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Our corporate worship gatherings are about immersing ourselves in the gospel. And how do we immerse ourselves in the gospel? Well, we do so through things like teaching and singing and serving and giving and praying. That's the rest of the definition. Now, what Paul lays out for us here in verse 16 is something that we see in dozens of passages on corporate worship in the Bible. One example, of course, is the Psalm, Psalm 100 that we read at the beginning where we saw the psalmist rehearsing the gospel, going over the gospel and then praising God for it. That's what corporate worship is about. We come together and we rehearse, we review, we remember the gospel and then we respond to it. That's what these gatherings are all about. Now, the third part of our definition tells us how we rehearse and respond to the gospel in corporate worship. And we do so in seven ways. Through preaching, praying, 
singing, giving, serving, communion, and baptisms. Now, some of these seven things are ways that we rehearse the gospel. Some of them are ways that we respond to the gospel. Some of them are ways that we do both. So let me just kind of quickly walk through uh, this with you just to give you um, just some, some uh, examples here, right? Preaching is the primary way that we rehearse the gospel. Primary way that we do so. We respond to the gospel primarily through things like giving and serving and praying. And then we both rehearse and then respond to the gospel through things like singing and communion and baptism. Let me give you just one, pull one of those out. Let's talk about communion for a second. Communion is a way that we rehearse the gospel, right? That we remember Jesus' body that was broken for us, his blood that was shed so that we could experience the forgiveness of sins. When we partake in communion, what is that about? It's about rehearsing, remembering, reviewing the gospel, but then of course, it's also about responding to it as we partake through confession and thanksgiving and praise. And hopefully at the end, we are filled with joy as we remember and respond. By the way, response, not responding to the gospel is one of the primary ways that we experience joy in the gospel. When we respond to what God has done for us, it should produce joy. And so that's what corporate worship is about. It's about rehearsing, it's about responding to the gospel through these seven, what we would call corporate worship practices. Now, let me point out a couple more things about these, these seven things, all right? None of them are optional for the church. All seven of them must be a part, a regular part of corporate worship gatherings. And therefore, do you know what that means for individual believers? They're not optional for the church and therefore they're not optional for anyone who calls themselves a part of the church. Each and every single one of us must partake, participate in these things on a regular basis in a biblical spirit-led way. So let's talk application, all right? Corporate worship is, again, as I said earlier, a huge part of the church and therefore a huge part of the Christian life. So I wanna spend the rest of our time today talking about how we should approach it. How should we come and take part in corporate worship gatherings? I'm gonna give you three things. First, we should approach corporate worship with humility, with humility, with a mentality that it's not about us, but rather first about God and then about others. Now, this is a huge challenge. And it's a huge challenge for us because we live in a culture that tells us that absolutely everything is about us. We live in a consumer, selfified culture. You know what I'm talking about here? Absolutely, we're told, absolutely, I mean, we're just inundated constantly with this idea that everything should be about us and what we need, what we want. We are the most self-focused generation, generations, I guess you should say, in the history of the world, which makes a real challenge when we hear that corporate worship isn't actually supposed to be about us, but rather about God and others. And so we have this real tendency to, to come into corporate worship and to participate in it with this mentality that it needs to be about us, that, that it needs to be about the, the music that we wanna hear, 
the message that we wanna hear, the experience that we want to have. By the way, this, this issue that I'm talking about right now uh, was the cause of many of the worship wars of yesteryears. Now, some of you have, have never experienced those. I've experienced a number of them, all right? And they were not fun at all. I never wanna go through them again. But I can tell you this is that uh, at the bottom of those worship wars was a um, mentality, largely on both sides, that worship should be about what I want and about meeting my needs and my desires. And yet what we see from scripture is that these corporate worship gatherings aren't about us really at all. First, they're about God. We see this in verse 16, right? How are we supposed to come and engage in the the teaching and the admonishing and the singing? How does Paul end verse 16? He says, with thankfulness in our hearts to whom? To God. What attitude should we come to corporate worship with? We should come with thankfulness that is directed towards God for all that he has done for us. We should come in focused on thanking and praising him for who he is and what he has done rather than the kind of things that we want to hear and sing and experience. And by the way, when we do this, we actually will end up having a greater experience. You know, when we get ourselves, our, our hearts and our minds off of ourselves and what we want and rather, and instead we, we turn it to God and we are thankful to him and we are praising him and we are submitting to the spirit it's then when we actually experience what we really truly want to experience, and that is God's presence. But here's something interesting. Not only are we supposed to come to worship focused on the Lord, but we're also supposed to be focused on others. Here's what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter five. He instructs us that that when we come together in corporate worship, we are to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in my experience, this is something that it seems that most Christians are completely unaware of. They're completely unaware that when we gather for corporate worship, we are actually to sing not only to God, but to one another. This is gonna be a paradigm shifter for you, maybe uh, here today. I actually hope it is uh, for our church. We should sing to one another. Now, I'm not suggesting, by the way, that you go up to one another after the service or before the service and you just start singing to people one-on-one, okay? That probably will be weird. It will probably be awkward and people will probably stop coming, all right? That's not what we're talking about here. So what Paul's talking about here, he's talking about how when we come and we have the words of the songs on the screen, and by the way, most of the time, if you're paying attention, you will note these are very gospel-rich and heavy songs that we choose to sing that is very, very intentional. And what we are hoping is that you will sing to, to sing out, sing loud, and that other people actually will hear so that you are speaking the gospel to them. Now, I want you to consider um, how powerful singing the gospel to one another may actually be. And I want to just give you an example, throw an example out there. Consider um, there is a, a man who comes to a service one Sunday. Consider that he comes really heavy laden 
because he's had a terrible, terrible week. And the reason that he's had a really terrible week is because he's given in to his sin of pornography yet again. And his heart and his mind and maybe even his life, his relationships, okay, are, are, are broken by this. Now, he doesn't want to come to corporate worship, but he knows he should. And so he drags himself in and he sits alone by himself in the back. And, and by the way, I can just tell you, this happens every week at our campuses. Happens every, absolutely every week. But I want you to think, is this man is sitting in a seat, maybe standing up because we're singing, his head probably bowed, he's probably not singing, but in front of him or beside him, he hears you singing these words. Which riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Do you think your passionate, bold declaration of those truths might have an impact on that man? I don't think that they might. I believe that they will. I believe that they will. They may have a life-changing impact on him. In fact, let me say this. They very well may have a bigger impact on him than the preaching. Let me tell you why. He may not even be able to hear the preaching. He may be so overwhelmed by what's going on. His mind is on his sin that he really can't grasp. He doesn't even hear the words that are being spoken over him. But you know, music has a power that just speaking does not. We, we all experience this, right? We've all experienced the power of music. And so as you are boldly singing the song and the music is going, it very well may grab a hold of this man or, or, or other examples, other people's hearts and lives. God may use your singing to change their hearts. And let me say this. I have a real concern for many people in our church who seem to think that the singing and pretty much everything but the sermon is, is periphery. And the reason I say this is because I watch a lot of people come in late and leave early. And I watch a lot of people doing a whole lot of other things while we're singing and praying and giving and giving announcements. And then we kind of, you know, get serious about the message. But then when the message is over, and I watch this happen every week, people get up and they leave. And here's just what I want to say to you. The singing is just as important as the preaching. Did you hear that? The singing is just as important as the preaching. Why? Because we are singing the gospel, just like we are preaching the gospel. And the scripture tells us that each and every one of us has a responsibility to sing the gospel. And I just want to lay this out to you. I have a responsibility to preach the gospel. You have just as much of a responsibility to sing the gospel. Ephesians 5, it's not up there anymore, but it was, right? Ephesians 5, 19. And your gospel singing, your engagement in that can have a real impact on people. So the big point here is that we should approach corporate worship with an upward focus and an outward focus. When we gather, we should do so with humble hearts intent on blessing God and others. Second, we should approach corporate worship with eagerness. With eagerness. In Psalm 122, one, note what David writes. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I was glad 
when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Now, for David, the house of the Lord was the temple. It was an actual physical building. For us, the house of the Lord is us. We, as New Testament believers, are God's house. And so the application of Psalm 122.1 for us is that we should come to the gathering of God's house, the gathering of God's people with eagerness, eagerness to praise God for who he is and what he has done for us and to stimulate, encourage, immerse our brothers and sisters in the gospel. I mean, do we really understand what a privilege it is to do what we're doing today? Do you, do you understand that we're doing the most important thing in the world? We, we are worshiping the God of the universe, the creator, the sustainer of everything, the, the one who has redeemed us from sin, who has made us alive, who has given us an eternal hope what, what greater thing could there be than to gather and to worship him together with the people that we are gonna spend all eternity with? There is nothing greater than what we are doing today, friends. There is no greater experience that can be had. And by the way, this is what we were created for. It's what we were saved for and it's what we will do for all eternity. Now, I do need to say this. As New Testament believers, we, we can do all of the things that we are doing today by ourselves. That is true. But the reason the Bible repeatedly calls us together is that God delights to make his presence of power known in a special way when his people are gathered in worship. And that is what should create an eagerness in us for corporate worship. You see, in corporate worship, the Christ in me meets the Christ in you. And when the Christ in me meets the Christ in you, it provides a powerful environment for the Holy Spirit to work and to do great things amongst us. Now, I will point out that practically speaking, eagerness requires preparation. Did you get that? Eagerness requires preparation. If we're gonna eagerly approach corporate worship, we have to prepare our hearts to do so. I don't know about you, but when I wake up in the morning, I don't wake up singing worship songs. All right, I, I, I promise you that I do not wake up singing the Hallelujah Chorus. Maybe you do, but I don't. And so I know that I have to spend time in the word and prayer and in really uh, getting my heart quiet before the Lord if I am going to uh, build, grow an eagerness and an expectation to come to corporate worship. And I know you might be thinking, well, of course you do this. You're the pastor. However, as I just pointed out, you are just as big a part of this as I am. I am called to preach, but you're also called to participate. And so what I'm trying to point out to you is participation requires preparation. Consider this. I want you to think about this for a second. If everyone prepared for corporate worship the way that you prepare, how would our gatherings be affected? Did you get that? If everyone prepared for our gatherings the way that you prepared, how would these gatherings be affected? Would they be better or would they be worse? 
Would they be something that you would want to be a part of? See, here's the attitude that we come to with corporate worship a lot. Again, we come just about ourselves, And so, so we're saying, hey, I really hope there's gonna be a great sermon today. And I hope the songs are gonna be really good. And I hope people are gonna be really into it. And I hope, you know, people are gonna, gonna come up to me and I have some great conversations. But do we ever think that if we want that to be true for us, that it actually already has to be true in the sense that we are preparing to come and to participate. And so the question is, if, if everyone in the body prepared like you prepared, what kind of corporate worship gatherings would we have? Would they be honoring to God and would they be a blessing to his people? Now, I wanna add this. I know um, and recognize that it's harder for some of us to prepare than others. This is especially true for uh, those families who have young children. And, and I've been there. I know that when you have young children, you're just hoping to get everyone to church fully clothed, all right? I, I, I get that. You just want them to have their clothes on and they have their shoes on. In fact, a few weeks ago, it was kind of funny. We actually had a family. Uh, they have a bunch of kids. And, and one of the, the little ones, little boy, uh, came in without any shoes. Didn't have any shoes, all right? And we were all right with that. Go on to children's ministry. We'll go shoeless. Jesus was shoeless. You can go shoeless, all right? But, but the point here is this, right? We recognize that sometimes it's hard or nearly impossible to prepare. And so I wanna say this. I want you to hear this most of all. I want you to hear that there's grace for the unprepared and there's grace for the unprepared regardless of the reason. And that's because God meets us where we are and through Jesus makes our worship acceptable to him. Our preparation doesn't make us acceptable to God. Jesus does. And so if we come to worship with humble faith in Jesus, he will receive our worship and give us the mercy and grace that we need. So maybe you didn't prepare today. Maybe you have a hard time preparing at the end of the day, that's okay as long as you come with humble faith in Jesus because if you come with humble faith in Jesus, Jesus will make your worship acceptable to God and he will meet you and give you what you need. Third and final, we should approach corporate worship with engagement, with engagement. This means that when it's time for preaching, we should get our Bibles out and we should open our hearts to what the Holy Spirit has to say to us. When it's time for praying, we should pray. When it's time for giving, we should give. When it's time for serving, we should serve. When it's time for communion, we should confess and we should pray and we should partake. When it's time for baptisms, we should celebrate. We should engage. Now, if you're paying attention there, you may note that I left out one of those seven practices I mentioned earlier. You get extra bonus points if you caught which one it is. You know which one it is? It's singing. And the reason I left out singing is because we tend, honestly, to talk to it, talk about it less than the other six. And it's also something where we have a significant need, an area where we have a significant need to grow at Harmony Bible Church. So let me point out two biblical truths about singing in corporate worship. One, it's a command. It's not optional. It's something that the Bible repeatedly calls us to do. We've seen this already today in Colossians 3, Ephesians 5, Psalm 100. Therefore, for a believer, and some of you really need to hear this today, singing 
is not optional. It's not optional. If you're a believer, you should sing. You're commanded to sing. Second, singing is to be expressive. It's to be expressive. In various parts of the Bible, we are told that the, worship, uh, the Lord wants us to worship with shouting, with clapping, with dancing, with raised hands, and with lots of instruments. Here's just one example. Psalm chapter 81. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Now this worship leader here is getting after it, right? He's saying, sing. No, I want you to shout. No, raise a song. No, I don't care what you do. Grab an instrument and praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's kind of like um, Phil Collins on the drums here. Some of you got that if you're over 40. If you're under 40, you, you know, Google YouTube it, all right? You, you can see, see it, all right? Phil, Phil Collins going crazy on the drums. That's really what this worship leader is doing here. He's saying, it really uh, doesn't matter so much how you praise the Lord. Just do it, just get after it. And my point here is, if we're not expressive in our worship, and as the kids say, we're doing it wrong. We're doing it wrong. If we are not expressing ourselves in some way in corporate worship, we are doing corporate worship wrong. Now, let me just suggest for, for some, I know that this is hard because many of us come from um, kind of um, Baptistic roots, so to speak, might, might I say. And so we, we think it might be wrong and sinful if we crack a smile when we're singing, all right? Or when we're in worship. We, we think maybe we'll say amen, but it, you know, that's a little edgy, okay? And I just wanna suggest to you here that we're always, in fact, I know this. Some people are gonna say, oh boy, oh boy, if we go down this road, it, things are gonna get crazy at Harmony. And I just wanna tell you, we have a long, long way before things are gonna get crazy here, all right? And we're always going to do things decently in order. So, so we want to worship in a way that's not distracting, but we also want to worship in a way that reflects our joy in what God has done for us and also pictures and shows how great we truly believe that he is. Listen, we, let me ask this. Why is it, that we have no problem expressing ourselves when we go to a sporting event or our kids' activities or a concert. I mean, honestly, I've seen many people at our church at, at, at football games. I've seen them at, especially their kids' activities. You go to the recplex, okay? People are getting expressive. <laughs> Why is it that when we gather to worship the greatest truths and the greatest person in the world, that we act like it doesn't affect us whatsoever. My friends, that should not be the case. If we're gonna worship anywhere, we're gonna express joy, we're gonna express praise, we're gonna get into something, we ought to get into praising the Lord. Can I get an amen on that, please? Amen. And so listen, I recognize that um, this might be difficult for, for many people. I, I know that it might make you uncomfortable, I recognize that, that you, you may have been doing what you've been doing for 60, 70 years. So just commit to saying, I need to grow in this. Maybe you start with a smile once in a while. Maybe, maybe just start singing, period. 
Maybe you, you raise a hand once in a while. Maybe you move a little bit. All of that is good. All of that is acceptable. And, and really what you have to do, here, here, honestly, what you have to do is you have to get your, your, you have to get over yourself. Can I say it that way? You have to get over yourself and you have to look to him and his glory and what he has done for you. And you have to look to your brothers and sisters and say, how can I help them? How can I encourage them in their faith? I just wanna be honest with you, friends. I have to get over myself absolutely every week. I've told you this before. You probably don't believe. I do not like to be up here in front of you. It is the strangest thing to me in the world that I am on video and on the internet every week, all right? And I do not like it. I have to push myself to do what I'm doing. I'm way out of my comfort zone pretty much every week, but you know why I do it? I do it because God has called me to do it and I do it for you. And if we all have that attitude, boy, oh boy, what would God do in our gatherings? What would God do amongst us? What would God do in our community as people see the change and transformation and they see what is happening in our body? And in closing, let me tell you how we can grow in this area. We can do so by viewing worship as an opportunity, as an opportunity. Now, you might be saying, what in the world? I have never heard that word before. Uh, but the word opportunity is a word that my friend and former pastor introduced to us a couple of years ago to describe something that creates simultaneously an obligation and an opportunity. An opportunity is something that creates an obligation and at the same time, an opportunity. So for example, all right, I have an opportunity towards my wife. Eve and I were married 24 years ago. And when we were married, okay, I made a commitment that I was going to love her. I was gonna love her regardless of, of what happened. Till death do we part, I was committed to loving her. So in one sense, I am obligated to love Eva. Now, some of your blood is boiling already. Did I say that, all right? But it is an obligation. That's what a marriage covenant is. It's an obligation. However, it's also an opportunity. It's a privilege. It is a privilege for me to love my wife. I'm obligated to love her. And it's a great opportunity, a great privilege to love her. So I have an opportunity to her. And that's the way it is with corporate worship. It's an obligation. It's something that we are commanded to do. But you know what? It's also an opportunity. It's a privilege and a great one at that. In fact, it is the greatest privilege that a human being can have to worship the God who has created them and who has redeemed and saved them. Are you with me here? I mean, what greater opportunity could we have than to worship the Lord and to do it together? You recognize that the corporate worship isn't a right, nor is it something that we would be able to do or even desire to do had God not sent his son to die in our place, to redeem us from slavery to sin and worshiping other gods, to bring us into a relationship with him and to enable us to, to, to know him, to hear from him, to walk with him, to experience all the blessings of doing so.
Do, do you realize that if God had not saved you, you would be worshiping and in bondage to other gods and you would be so for all eternity. What a privilege it is to be saved, redeemed, brought into a relationship with him and now to be able to walk with him and to worship him, to praise him, to live with him, and to be able to do so for all eternity. So yes, corporate worship is an obligation. If you're a believer, you're obligated to do it. But more than that, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity, it's something that we get to do. So let's allow this truth to lead us to approach corporate worship with humility, with eagerness, and most of all, with engagement. Will you pray with me?